0: All right, now uh, look at your your study sheet right there at the, the beginning. I want to do something that's just for fun, okay? Now, uh, y'all relax, and I want you to I want you to talk to me here. What is now? And some of you are not going to know this, and that's that's cool. But a lot of you do know this, most of you. What in the Bible? What is the number of man? Okay, the number number six. And we learn the in the Bible that right after the church. Is raptured, And if you're newer to the Bible and unfamiliar with that term, the rapture is what all of the true believers in Jesus Christ are now awaiting. It is that time when a trumpet will sound, the Bible says, and all of the people that are on this planet that know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior will be caught up in the moment of the twinkling of an eye, and it will thrust this earth into a period of, of tribulation. Okay, Now, when that whole event takes place, there is a man that comes on the scene and he's going to set up his his kingdom on this earth by counterfeiting the Trinity. He, he is going to be the counterfeit of God in human flesh. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 18 that he has a number. Remember what it is? Okay, it, It's the number six, but it's the number six tripled. It is... Six, six, six. So on the equation on the top of your study sheet, just for fun now, put six, six, six uh, up there. And then multiply that number by the Trinity, number three. Okay, let's just see what you get. And everybody that's not good in math right now is going, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I, I really don't, I really don't think that that means one thing about 1998 being the year that the rapture is going to take place and the antichrist is going to be revealed. But without doing any numeric gymnastics whatsoever, I do have a book right here that has, for the last 4,000 years, prophesied events. And what's interesting is in the last four thousand years, it has a track record of being one hundred percent right. Now you know what? You and I could we could cop a plane and we could head to Las Vegas and with those kind of odds we'd both come back a multi millionaire, man. And with everything that this book says about the time that we're living in, it is pointing to the fact that nineteen ninety eight may well be the year that the rapture takes place and the antichrist is revealed on this planet and if it isn't 1998 i can assure you of this it's not real far off from that and where we are in our our study of the book of revelation right now is just that place the place where the church has just been raptured off of the earth the church is taken to heaven we see that pictured for us back in chapter four and verse one where John, as a a picture of the church, he sees heaven open, the Lord descends, there's a trumpet, there's a voice, and he is transported into the very presence of God in the third heaven, exactly as we mentioned just a second ago, exactly what the believers in Jesus Christ on this planet are going to experience literally at any moment. And after John is caught up into the presence of the Lord in chapter 4 and verse 1, He takes the whole rest of of that chapter, all of chapter 4, to describe the things that he saw in heaven. And he begins to go into a description of the worship that he sees that's taking place around the throne. And I mean, it was just it was unbelievable. I mean, John is caught up and he has seen this and he is absolutely blown away. I mean, here is the, the church in glorified bodies for the very first time worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and then all of a sudden, in chapter 5 and verse 1, God does something that interrupts everything that is going on in heaven. It's as if to say, uh, you know, God does this thing as if he is saying, okay, now, you know, this is all great, but there is still one major item of unfinished business that needs to be taken care of on the earth. And you'll see there in chapter 5 and verse 1 that what he does is he takes out scroll john calls it a a book because in those days they called scrolls books and this this scroll had been sealed with seven seals and we've seen over the last several weeks as we've been comparing scripture with scripture that that book that the lord pulls out in chapter 5 and verse 1 is none other than the title deed of the earth the bible says that the earth is the lord's and the fullness of Thereof, In other words, he holds the title deed. But when he created man back in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, what God did is he made a copy of the title deed of the earth, as it were, and he gave it to man in the garden. And what we find in the book of Genesis and throughout the Bible is that when man sinned, not only did man lose the image of God and thereby need to be redeemed, what we also find is that he lost the possession of the earth and the earth needed to be redeemed and the title deed went out of his possession into the hands of of satan and of course the whole reason for god becoming a man in the person of jesus christ was to provide redemption to man and all of creation from the curse of sin and in chapter four With the church in heaven, man's redemption is complete. He is there with his soul and his spirit redeemed, and at this point, in a glorified body. Even his body has been redeemed. But then God pulls out this book, this title deed of the earth, and he says, now it's time to settle the score on the earth. And a search goes out in chapter 5, throughout all of heaven and throughout the earth, And it says throughout the entire universe, for one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals and rule the earth. John says that there was none that was worthy. And there's silence in heaven as the search goes out for one who would be worthy to come and take that scroll out of the right hand of God the Father. And again, there is none worthy until the Lamb of God stands to His feet. The Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in the first part of verse 1, as we begin chapter 6, that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, begins to open the first of the seven seals of this book that is the title deed of the earth. And what I want us to do this morning is I I want to take you on a on a journey to help you to identify biblically this this period that is represented in Revelation chapter six in the opening of the seven seals. Now, first of all, let's let's make the identification of this period right here where we are in the book of Revelation. Okay, so what I'm gonna do right now, I'm gonna take you through a little journey quickly through the book of Revelation to show you this period that's represented here okay now as we've already seen if you've been here for this study the book of revelation is really built around two key chapters of the bible and and if you're not accustomed to the way that we do things right now we're going to be from here on out man we're going to be moving out so listen and look at the bible and at the same time be looking at your study sheet and trying to to walk along with us okay The book of Revelation is really built around two key chapters of the Bible. Chapter 4 and chapter 19. If you get those two chapters down, you can make your way through the book of Revelation. In both chapters, something very significant happens. What it is, is heaven opens. And in chapter 4, in verse 1, heaven opens and somebody goes up. And then in chapter 19, in verse 11 heaven opens and somebody comes down and those are the key divisions in this book those are the the events that let you know where you are somebody going up of course is the what it's the rapture somebody coming down of course is the second coming and you see once you get those landmarks the book of revelation really isn't all that tough what those two events do is they divide the book into three sections okay if you can just kind of Visualize in your mind if we had a timeline up here that it would be chapter 1 2 3 4 5 all the way down through to verse 22 And if you take those two chapters, and if you just kind of lift those up Above the others those you got the rapture here and The second coming here what you would see is that it's divided that book into three sections, okay, so it, if chapter 4 is the rapture in chapter 19 is the second coming and what that means is that chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with the church age. That's the first section. And then you've got the rapture, as we said, in chapter 4. And so what that means is that chapters 5 through 18, what we're dealing with there is the tribulation period. Then chapter 19, again, is the second coming of Christ. And then chapters 22, 20, 21 22 you have the millennium the new heaven and the new earth and then eternity so you see how that, that all fits together and it's really very simple and yet quite honestly most of the people in, in their approach to the book of revelation miss that thing and something else that people miss are some very important keys that you see back in chapter 1 so if you would turn back to chapter 1 for a, sec- uh, a second and you'll notice Back in chapter 1 and verse 19, that when God told John to write the revelation that he was going to give him, he told him to write it in three tenses. Now, there's a lot of folks who, you know, I mean, you can get all kinds of commentaries out there on the book of Revelation, and what you'll find is that everybody's got their outline of the, the book of Revelation. What you have in chapter 1 and verse 19 is God's outline of the book. And what he tells John is he tells him to write, but he tells him to write in three tenses. He tells him to write the things which thou hast seen. Okay? And that, of course, is the past. He tells him also to write the things which are, and that's, of course, the present. And then he tells him to write the things that shall be hereafter, and, of course, that is the future. But, now listen very carefully. If you try to interpret that outline that the Lord gives you there in verse 19 from the perspective of John who was writing these things down somewhere around 90 to 95 AD, if you try to interpret it like that you're going to get yourself all messed up. You say, "Well, no, wait, wait, wait. If John wrote this in 90 to 95 AD, how could you interpret it any other way?" Well, what what God does is he gives you a very key verse to let you know how to interpret this outline in verse 19. And that key verse is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And What John does in verse 10 is he tells us about this, this revelation that he received. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. You now something that you need to know is that every true believer in Jesus Christ is in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in every true believer in Jesus Christ. That's not what he's talking about there when he says that he was in the Spirit. And and notice the phrase, the Lord's Day there in verse 10. And when most people hear the Lord's Day, it's like they just automatically think of Sunday, but something interesting is nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. The Bible definition of the Lord's day is the day of the Lord. Now, if you're new to the Bible, what the day of the Lord is, it's a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the time just prior to the second coming of Christ. So in a very technical sense, now now listen, in a technical sense, the Lord's day, or the day of the Lord, is that very day. There's coming a specific day when Jesus Christ is going to come out of heaven. And this is, again, that event in Revelation 19, 11. He's coming out of heaven. He is going to come back to this earth. And he is going to step his feet on the Mount of Olives to set up his kingdom on the earth. Okay, And that actual day of his second coming is the day of the Lord. And yet, as you trace this phrase, the day of the Lord, through the Bible... What you find is that in a general sense, it also picks up everything that happens after the rapture of the church. So the day of the Lord in a general biblical sense would include everything from the beginning of the tribulation right up to and through the second coming of Christ. Okay. So what John is saying here, is that when he has this revelation that God was wanting him to write, what he is saying here is that the Spirit of God has picked him up and has moved him forward in time to the time of the day of the Lord. So you see, he's not writing from the standpoint of someone living in 90 to 95 A.D. He's writing these things from the standpoint of someone living laid out in the 20th century or the early part of the 21st century, the time in which we live. And so in verse 19, when God tells him to write the things which thou hast seen from the standpoint of someone who was standing at the day of the Lord, what is it that would have just passed? The church age, right? And you see, that's why in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you find the word church 19 times in those three chapters. And then you come to the end of chapter 3 and then look what happens in chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 begins after this. After what? After the church age. And what he does in verse 1 is he goes on to describe the rapture. So, the church age would have been the things that he had just Scene. And then God tells him to write in a in a different tense. He tells him to write the things which are. Okay, and from the standpoint of the day of the Lord, that would be the present. And what is it that would be the present if you're standing at the day of the Lord? It would be the tribulation period all the way through to the second coming of Christ. And then God tells him to write in the third tense, to write the things which shall be hereafter. And from the day of the Lord, what would be the events that would be after the second coming of Christ? Again, it would be the millennium, the new heaven and the new earth, and then eternity, chapters 20, 21, and 22. So you see, when we put Revelation chapter 6 and the opening of the seven seals into the context of the book, What we learn from rightly dividing the book of Revelation and putting the opening of the seven seals into their context is that what we're dealing with in Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of the tribulation period. And you notice in chapter 6 that as soon as the Lord opens the first seal at the beginning of the tribulation, what we have is the revelation of the Antichrist. Look in chapter 6 and verse 2. John says and I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown that was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer now we'll go into detail on all of that next week but what you have in verse 2 is the revelation of the Antichrist who makes his conquest of the earth of the earth very peacefully at the beginning of of the tribulation period at the beginning of the opening of these seven seals okay so we've seen the identification of this period that's represented in the opening of the seven seals in the book of Revelation and next I want you to see this period that's represented here in the book of Daniel so let's let's move our way back to the Old Testament book of, of Daniel Daniel chapter 9. <coughs> and you'll have to forgive me this morning. I'm a nasal nightmare if you haven't already figured that out. Daniel chapter 9. Now, now, now listen. Listen. Okay, everybody Everybody got that whole thing down with the book of Revelation? Did, did I lose anybody there? You wouldn't admit it anyway, would you? Are you guys with me there? Was that simple to follow? Okay. Now, the book of Daniel is a key Old Testament book. If you're ever really going to understand the book of Revelation, in fact, what you're going to find over the next several months is we make our way through the tribulation period in the book of Revelation what you're going to find is we're going to constantly be referring to to the book of Daniel. And when we get to Daniel chapter 9, it's it's very important for you to understand what's what's going on here. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 9 at this point, the nation of Israel has been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Okay? They are at this point they're in the midst of the Babylonian Captivity, and they've already been in this captivity. Thank you, sir. They've already been in captivity for 68 years. Okay? You got it? They've been in captivity. Now, Babylonian captivity for 68 years in Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel says in verse 1, In the year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And you know what Daniel's telling us here? What what he's saying is there was one day I was reading through the book of Jeremiah. He happened to be, and we know this because we've got the book of Jeremiah just like Daniel did. He's reading the same exact book that's in your Bible, the book of Jeremiah, he's in chapters 25 or chapter 25 and he's reading along and he hits verses 11 and 12 and lo and behold he discovered that he's reading about the very captivity that he is in and he finds out that this captivity is going to last 70 years okay that's what verse 2 says so you see it wasn't you know daniel being the, the incredible mathematician that he was he figured out that If 68 years have already passed that we've been in this captivity, then there's only two left. And so when Daniel understands what this is saying, what it says there in verse 3 and following, is that Daniel falls on his face before God, confessing his sins and the sins of the nation of Israel, and he does that down to verse 19. And then in verse 20, He says that while he was praying, God did something. Verse 21, God sent Gabriel down and Gabriel told Daniel that God had sent him to give him skill and understanding about another prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. And this one is one that affects the very time that you and I live in. And you'll notice in verse 24 that this is the The vision of the very famous 70 weeks of Daniel. That's what Gabriel is about to give him. The vision of the 70 weeks of Daniel, or Daniel's 70 weeks. Now, for some of you folks who are are newer to the Bible, and again, man, we're thrilled that, that you're here to enter into this study with us. But if you're here and you're not real familiar with this whole thing of Daniel's 70 weeks, understand this. And we're going to see this in in just a second. But this this vision is talking about 70 weeks of years. In other words, 70 times 7, or a period of 490 years. And watch watch how Gabriel defines this for Daniel in, in verse 24. He says in verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times and after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself and the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay, now... You go, oh, my goodness, I'll never understand. Let me just walk you back through this real quick, and it's really not all that tough. Okay, now remember, here's Daniel. He's cruising along through this, the, the book of Jeremiah. He's finding out about this captivity. He finds there's only two more years. He starts praying, and God comes down through Gabriel, and he gives him the vision of these 70 weeks, of these 70 weeks of years. So now keep in your mind right now that we're dealing with, in this whole vision that Gabriel gives to him, We're dealing with a period of 490 years, or 70 weeks of years. And verse 25 tells us that these 490 years are divided into three groups or groupings of years. First of all, he talks about seven weeks. Seven weeks. And again, this is seven weeks of years. Now, now this is going to sound confusing as we go through if you'll just look at your study sheet this will be a cakewalk for you it's it's really simple okay but you're going to have to hone in don't be you know redecorating the living room right now or thinking about what you're going to chow in a few minutes you're going to have to pull it in okay he, he's talking. the first grouping is seven weeks or seven weeks of years so how much is that seven times seven or what 49 years okay and, and now listen what he says about this this period is that from the commandment or the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until the time that it was done it would be 49 years okay and you can you can check it out if you go back to Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 8 what you find back there is that God lays out for you the day the month and the year that the commandment was made okay and what we find back there is that Artaxerxes gave the commandment that this should go forth on Nisan the 1st or Nisan 1, 445 B.C. Nicene the 1st, 445 B.C. We've got the book of Ezra in our Bible. We've got the book of Nehemiah in our Bible. And what it does is it lets us know that from that date, 49 years exactly, The nation of Israel was permitted to rebuild the walls, and it was accomplished in that 49-year period. Now, the next period of time that he talks about, and evidently it's on the top of the other sheet, the next period of time that he talks about is 62 weeks. Okay, We had seven weeks, and we've seen what that was. Now it's 62 weeks, or 62 weeks of years, or 62 times 7. And how much is that? 434 years. I'll help you. Okay? That's 434 years, but now remember, that's on top of the previous 49 years that we just talked about. So it would be 434 years plus... 49 years, which is a total of how many? 483 years, or 69 weeks. And what he says in verse 25 is that it would be 69 weeks, or seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Okay, 70 plus 60 plus 2 that it would be 69 weeks from the giving of the commandment of Artaxerxes to restore and build Jerusalem. From that point, it would be 69 weeks of years unto Messiah the Prince. Messiah the Prince. And that's a reference to the event that we find in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey at his triumphal entry. It's the Messiah, the Prince, which was fulfilled at the triumphal entry where he was heralded as Israel's Messiah. And you know what's, what's wild? And again, really, it's not wild in terms of the Bible because this book has never prophesied anything that didn't come to pass exactly the way that God said that it would. But, but now listen, a hundred years ago, a man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson, in his book entitled... The coming prince. In fact, right back there in our bookstore, we we carry this this very book, written a hundred years ago. And Sir Robert Anderson showed how that if you follow the the history and the prophecy of what God laid out in these passages, the coming of Messiah the Prince in verse twenty five, he came into Jerusalem on the exact day that Daniel had prophesied. The command to rebuild Jerusalem, as we talked about, came to pass in Nice I, the First, 445 B.C., and 69 weeks of years from that date. Okay? 69 weeks of years from that date. Okay, so that was 483 years. And, and now listen very carefully. It was 483 years of 360 days each. Okay, you say, now where in the world did you get this 360 days each thing? To, I mean, are were trying to make this fit? No. Back at this time, that's how many days... Now, our our calendar has 365. Back in this day, the Hebrew and Babylonian calendars both had 360 days each in each year. And so what you have is 40, 483 years... Of 360 days, and that's a total of 173,880 days. 173,880 days. Okay, now check it out. 173,880 days from Nicene the first, 445 BC. On that very day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey exactly the way the Old Testament prophesied he would on the exact day the Old Testament prophesied he would. And the date was April the 6th, 32 A.D. Now, Now listen. You didn't have to be real smart. All you had to do was just believe the Bible and the things that God said. And you know what? you would have been able to be living in Jerusalem at that time and and say, I'm not just exactly sure who the Messiah is, but I do know this, I've done some calculating, and we are right now on the 173,880th day, and any time now, there ought to be somebody coming into these walls on a donkey. And whoever he is, he's the Messiah, and you look up and bam, there he is. I mean it was all spelled out and i tell you that because we're living at a time just like that where god has spelled out every single thing about what time it is and yet people are just as clueless today as they were when he came the first time i mean there wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been two people that believed god enough to know that what was taking place there on april the 6 32 a.d was the fulfillment of daniel's prophecy but again sir robert anderson proved that a hundred years ago and yet people question whether or not this is the word of god now now they'll believe the weather report the dudes i'm telling you they are never right man i mean the days that they tell me it's going to rain i sport my umbrella and it's perfect it's going to be sunshiny i don't bring it and bam you know get my cloth all messed up getting out there And yet we we keep going to them and we trust them. Oh, Oh, the weatherman said it's going to be like this today. And they're never right. God's never missed and nobody believes Him. It's an amazing thing. But then you'll notice in verse 26, it says that at that point, after three score and two weeks, plus the seven weeks in verse 25, it says that Messiah shall be cut off. In other words, He died. And, of course, you know know how it came down. Jesus made his triumphal entry and was heralded as Israel's Messiah. And within just a few days, the very same people who were saying, this is our Messiah, Hosanna, Hosanna, the same exact people were then calling for his death, and Israel's Messiah was cut off. So that was what Daniel's prophecy included in the 69 weeks now remember the vision wasn't for 69 weeks it was for how many it was for 70 okay so there's still one final week of years that we need to identify and what we learn from the Word of God and has been confirmed through history is that the first 69 weeks that we were just talking about they were fulfilled consecutively in other words Those years, I mean, you could start counting from nice in the first, 445 B.C., and just start counting those days, man. And they just happened one right after the other. But once the nation of Israel cut off their Messiah, listen, the clock stopped. And that's a biblical principle that you find throughout. You can go through the book of Judges and find out. When Israel was out of fellowship with God, God stops counting. Okay? What happened after that 69th week when we entered into... Uh, or or when the Messiah was cut off, what happened is we entered into a parenthesis, a parenthesis that we call the church age. And we've been in that for the last 2,000 years. And what God is doing through this period is He is calling out a Gentile bride for His Son. And we learn from the Word of God that Jesus Christ is going to come back to, uh, to, to the clouds and He is going to take His bride off of the face of this earth this is that event that we were talking about the rapture and when that event takes place the parenthesis will be over the rapture is going to be that event that closes the parentheses, and then that final week of years is going to kick in That's that final seven years it's going to be accomplished just like Daniel said and that seven years is Daniel's 70th week. And again, this is that period of time that we commonly refer to as the tribulation period. The seven years of the tribulation period. The very time that is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 6 in the opening of the seven seals. So you got it? The opening of the seven seals that we're dealing with in Revelation chapter 6 we've seen it from the book of Revelation It's identified as the tribulation period we go back here to the book of daniel and daniel was talking about that very time it's the 70th week of daniel's vision it's that seven year period of the tribulation and watch this just like we saw when the tribulation begins in revelation chapter six we see the revelation of the antichrist and watch what happens here right in daniel chapter 9 verse 26 gabriel starts talking to daniel in the middle of the verse about the prince that shall come now who is that y'all it's the antichrist right and notice verse 27 he shall confirm the covenant with many for for how long for one week one week of years which lets you know just as we saw in revelation chapter 6 that when the lord jesus christ opens the first seal at the beginning of the tribulation period the Antichrist will come on the scene, and we know that because Gabriel said that the covenant, or the what we would call today the, the treaty, he's going to sign a, a treaty, and we, we'll see this in detail next week. He's going to sign a treaty at the beginning of the tribulation period with the nation of Israel, but he says that the treaty is going to be for a seven-year period. And then you'll notice there in verse 27 that something major takes place in the midst of that week, or in the middle of the the tribulation, at the three and a half year point, something major takes place. Three and a half years, or forty two months into the tribulation, something significant is going to take place, and it is going to initiate the unfolding of what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation, where literally all hell will break loose on this planet. And again, we'll, we'll get into that in detail next week. But now let's look at the identification of this period that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 6 we're just trying to go through the Bible and just get a a bird's eye view of all the times that God is talking about this very period this time I want to show it to you from the book of James why don't you turn over there if you would and again I apologize for having to listen to this raspiness this, this morning I'm sure that you guys would like to be saying drink that thing man The book of James. Now, the book of James is another book where a lot of people get themselves messed up. And the reason that they get themselves messed up is they don't understand that prophetically the book of James applies to this very time that is represented in the opening of these seven seals in Revelation 6. The book of James applies to the Jew in the tribulation period. let me show you what i mean you'll notice in verse one of chapter one that first of all this book is not addressed to the church you see that in verse one this is this book it's in the new testament but this book is not addressed to the church now we can read it and we can profit from it because second timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for correction for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So it's profitable for us. But we've got to realize when we go into the book of James that we're reading somebody else's mail. Just it's that simple. This doesn't have—I mean, this doesn't have our address on it. This isn't addressed to the church. Who's it addressed to? It's addressed to the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel. And the whole first part of the book tells how to handle living through times of intense trial and suffering. Tribulation, if you will. And you see, what's going to happen after the rapture of the church is there's going to be a group of Jews on this planet that's going to be going, wait, 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 wait. I think I smell something here. They're going to pick up a New Testament And they're going to start coming through this thing and all of a sudden they're, Hey, Harry, check this out. This is addressed to the 12 tribes. And they're going to start pick up that that book and they're going to start reading about how to deal with things when you're going through tribulation in your life. In chapter 2, he starts talking to them about the faith of Abraham. Okay, And ding, 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 they're going to be reading along And they're going to go, Abraham, check this out, y'all. He is our father, man. And so James starts talking about the faith of Abraham, listen, and how his faith was made evident by his works. And you know what? It's a perfect fit for the Jew in the tribulation period because during that time, their faith in the tribulation period, the faith of the Jews is going to need to be made evident by their works as well. I mean, you know, during the tribulation period, they can be calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins, all that they want through the the entire tribulation period. But if somewhere along the way in the tribulation period, they take the mark of the beast, you know what's going to happen to them? They're going to die and go straight to hell. You see? Their faith in calling upon the name of the Lord is going to be made evident by their works in other words during the tribulation period just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 what he says is those Jews must endure to the end you see that they must endure to the end and he comes down to the end of the book of James in chapter 5 he reiterates this for them in chapter 5 and verse 7 watch what he says now he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, Jews, going through time of tribulation. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto what? The coming of the Lord. You know how the tribulation period is going to end, y'all? With the coming of the Lord. And you know what James is saying? Hold out faithful until the end. Endure Unto the end. Be patient, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, God, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain, which is a phrase that is used in the Bible to refer to that exact period of time. The tribulation period. In verse 17, he picks up on that same illustration again, talking about Elias, which is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew word Elijah. And he starts talking about how he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and check this out, it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. A total of 42 months, which just happens to be, according to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 2 and Revelation 13 and verse 5, exactly how long the great tribulation period will last on the earth. The great tribulation, of course, is the second half of the seven-year tribulation period. It didn't rain, y'all, for 42 months. Three and a half years. And look what he tells the Jews in the tribulation back in verse 8. Be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. In other words, hold on, boys. Because it's not going to be too long. It's only seven years. Not going to be too long until you're going to be able to see the Lord coming back. And listen, if you want to know how to do it, James says, look at verse 10. Take, my brethren... The prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Go back into your Old Testament and watch how all of this is spelled out there. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which what? endure to the end, that is. And watch this now. You've heard of the patience of Job, haven't you? And you know what he does? He pulls out Job as a specific Old Testament example of the Jew in the tribulation period. And check it out. The book of Job, you know what it's about? It's all about a man who goes through unbelievable tribulation. I mean, Job. He, I mean, he just—if you go back and read it, in fact, why don't you turn back there? What you find is here is Job, and the, the guy is just cruising along through life, fearing God and hating evil and all other kinds of good stuff. And all of a sudden, man, in one day, the dude loses every single one of his ten kids. He turns right around on that very same day, and he loses all of his possessions. And he was a wealthy man. And in that same day, he loses his health and he is covered from the top of his head to the toe of his foot. He's covered with these putrefying, nasty sores and to add insult to injury, his crabby wife turns on him and says, listen, pal, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I don't know about you. I'd call that some pretty major tribulation. Wouldn't you? And interestingly enough, you know how long Job suffered his tribulation it says seven days and you know where he suffered this tribulation in the land of Uz not the land of Oz the the land of Uz you know what the Bible tells us the land of Uz is it says that it's Edom and you know what's in Edom? Petra. You know what Petra is? Listen. It's the very place that God has prepared for His believing remnant during the tribulation period. You still awake? Okay. So here is Job suffering his tribulation in the very same place the nation of Israel is going to be suffering their tribulation during the the tribulation period. And and isn't it just maybe just a little bit interesting that like we just saw in Revelation chapter 11 and and verse 2 and Revelation 13 and verse 5, it it tells us that the the great tribulation, which is, again, the second half of the, 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 the tribulation period, that it will last for 42 months. And coincidentally enough, the book of Job just happens to have 42 chapters in the book. You say, come on, man. I mean, you don't, you don't really believe that God even had something to do with the chapter divisions, do you? Nah. I just believe that all of this stuff that we're talking about this morning is just an absolute coincidence. Right? You know? I mean, these things just, uh, it's written by men, and it's just been all kind of put together to do this. Great. Something else that's interesting about the, the book of Job is the book of Job, as he's coming down to the end, starts talking about a strange beast. That's just a little bit difficult for some people to identify. And I wonder who this strange beast could be that's it's a little bit to discern his identity. It, go to Job chapter 40 for a sec Job chapter 40 and look at what he says in verse 15 (coughs) Behold now Behemoth Now anybody got a pet Behemoth? out there? Anybody know what a behemoth is? They you see, this word behemoth, understand this, that this word is is what we call a transliteration. What that means is when the King James translators came to this word, they said, you know guys, we'd be better suited here to just put in the Hebrew word than to try to interpret it. And the reason they said that is because there is no english equivalent of this word it's it's kind of like you know if we're studying you know spanish and we come uh, uh, what what's the word for bread in spanish well pan hello whatever it is okay there's a, there's a word in, in spanish is it pan okay p a n there's a word in Spanish for bread. And so if you're translating from the Spanish into the English and you come to the word pan, you're going to go bread over here in English. By the same token, if you're cruising along and you're, you're translating something in Spanish and you come to the word tortilla, what are you going to do when you put that in English? You're going to put tortilla over here in English. Why? Because there's no English equivalent of that word. Okay? Okay, we're tracking Okay, y'all can understand tortillas now. (laughs) Yeah, now we're cooking with gas. Work it, man. Tortillas. Let's get out of here and do it. (laughs) And and he says here, Behold now, behemoth. And again, it's a transliterated word. Now, I can tell you what the the word means in the Hebrew, not because I'm a scholar, but because I looked it up. Okay? The, the, The word behemoth, you know what it means? It means animals. Plural. Plural. Animals. N- not, not one. Animals. Okay, the, the OTH ending in the Hebrew it makes it a plural word. Now, now watch this. Okay? Let's just plug it in there. Behold now animals, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo now his stream is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly, and and you can already see that that either God has got some real bad grammar when he uses a plural word, or there's something else that's taking place in this chapter. Okay, and what he begins to do here is he begins to describe a beast that is singular but he's a composite of different animals. Have you ever heard of a beast who is a composite of different animals in the Bible? In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1, you know what it says? John says, I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And he goes on to describe him in verse two, and he says, and "He was he was like a leopard, and he was like a bear, and he was like a lion." You know who he was? One beast who was a composite of different animals. And you know who the beast is in Revelation chapter thirteen? Talk to me. The Antichrist. Damn! 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 okay, we're dealing with the book that's dealing with the Jew in the tribulation period. We're coming down to this thing and God says, and oh, oh yeah, y'all be looking for this strange beast to appear who is a singular beast and yet he's a composite of different animals. And watch what happens now. Behold now, behemoth Antichrist, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. And all of a sudden, if you're a Bible believer, All of a sudden, you know the fact that 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 phrase there, eateth grass as an ox, it's only found one other time in the Bible. You know where it is? Where Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the Antichrist, is eating grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. And listen, when that beast appears on this earth, he is going to have unbelievable power. You can see that all the way through the book of Revelation. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He's the chief of the ways of God. Listen, Satan has been storing up for this guy. Satan, of course, was the one that God had delegated incredible power to. Incredible power. In fact, it, it even tells us in Ezekiel chapter 28, He was the sum. You know what? He's the chief of the ways of God, just like it says here. But watch this. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. And you know what you find? In the book of Revelation, at the end of the tribulation period, the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of heaven. And what comes out of his mouth, y'all? A sword. And he does his work against the Antichrist with his sword. And God tells you way back here in this book of Job, and during the tribulation, Behemoth is going to arise. He's got all kinds of power, but buddy, I'm going to have my sword come back to this earth, and he's going to do his work on the Antichrist. And so do you see this? All the way through the Bible, God keeps telling you about this period of time that's spelled out in Revelation chapter 6 with the opening of the seven seals in the context of the book of Revelation it's the tribulation period in the context of Daniel chapter 9 it's his 70th week in the context of the book of James it's the early and the latter reign we come here to the book of Job and we find out it's the same exact period the Jew in the time of the tribulation period when Behemoth will raise his ugly head and Jesus Christ will come out of heaven and do his work on the Antichrist and I'm getting ready to make your day, y'all. Yo. We ain't going to do the rest of your study sheet. Uh, it, it'll take us just a little bit too much time. But don't pack up on me, would you? Okay? Now, now listen. What we're going to do, we'll, we'll pick up here next week. What, what I want to do is I want to show you that all the way through the Bible, God's been pointing to this Antichrist, and he's been saying, you better watch out. You better watch out because he's going to come to this planet. This is what he's going to be like. And it's pictured all the way through. Eighteen types of Antichrist. Six plus six plus six. Eighteen types of the Antichrist. And we're going to pick up with next week as we begin to work our way through Revelation chapter 6, more specifically next week. Now, now listen. If you're here this morning... And you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know, I, and, and you know, as I prepared this week, I, I tried to, and in fact, I try to do this every week. I, I try to prepare with folks that will come into this room that are just like I was at 16 years of age, believing in God and yet not really knowing anything about the Bible and not knowing anything about what God was really after. And you know, if I were you sitting there hearing all that we heard this morning one thing is for sure I would conclude that the Bible is the word of God I, I mean if you could listen to what you heard today and question that I, I'm, I'm just telling you I, I, I can't, can't figure you know uh, and what this book says is we're living in the last days you don't have a whole lot of time to make a decision I'm, I'm not trying to force you into anything You know, listen, you're your own person and you do what you want to do. But may I be a voice in your life today that is just saying, in light of everything this book says, this stuff that we're talking about could take place literally in any second on this planet. And in light of that, there's only one decision to make and that is to turn to God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your only hope. Not your baptism as a child or your baptism somewhere along the way. Not your good works. Not any achievements that you tried to do to your fellow man or or anything like that. What the Scripture says is that we come to Jesus Christ and Him alone and we accept Him and what He provided when He died for us on the cross as the complete atonement for our sin. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ, I'm begging you, today, would you receive Him? The the Scripture says, today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. And so today, if the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to you by His Spirit through the Word of God that we've tried to proclaim this morning, At the end of our service, our our pastors will be up on either side uh, of the worship center. These men are positioning themselves there to answer your questions. We'd love the opportunity of sharing Christ with you today and allowing you to know how you can know him and how you can go through these days that we're living in with complete trust and assurance that you'll spend eternity with Christ. And Let's bow our heads together.